You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 363, we're discussing The Flash. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Ian. And Ian, like this movie, big, huge, this epic piece is being set in front of us. This is what this podcast is. But inside of that movie, there was a return. And there's a return on this podcast. And very much like Michael Keaton's Batman returning from the shadows, we have the goddamn Batman, Carlos, returning to the show to review The Flash with this Carlos. Welcome back to your seat in the nerd room you want to get nuts let's get nuts let's get just <laughs> delivered exactly like michael <laughs> keaton did in that movie oh guys i'm i'm excited to have you both here to talk about the flash carlos has seen it twice i've seen it once Ian, you've seen it one once yeah once i was supposed to be watching it right now but we're recording. So we called Audible and actually recorded a day early just so we get this discussion in. You know, guys, right. it has been an interesting few days with this movie coming off what I would say was one of the most hyped marketing campaigns we've seen in a very long time to a Sunday when the sky had absolutely fallen from the comic book movie space with The Flash not doing so well. And the world just kind of changing overnight here but we're going to get into some of that discussion a little later on the fallout of the flash but first things first we're going to talk about this movie how we felt about this movie the highs maybe some of the lows but did this movie deliver at the scale that it was promised to deliver james gunn called it the best comic book movie that he's seen this year i think there was a lot of praise from the likes of tom cruise and What's his name? King, the dude that writes all the scary Stephen books. Stephen King. Stephen King. Stephen King. So there, there's lo- lots of really, <laughs> Tom lots King of writes really good ab- comics. <laughs> Tom King. Yeah. Did I say Tom King? Tom Cruise and Stephen King. But the, this movie had an air of confidence walking into this weekend with all the fan screenings. You know, a lot of our good friends, most of America, saw this two weeks ago, and we were the unlucky ones here in Canada and Japan that didn't get to see this. And so the hype wasn't real for us until this weekend. But let, let's, let's just scrub all of that, push all of that stuff to the side, all the hype. Let's talk about our feelings walking out of the theater for The Flash. And I got to go to the goddamn Batman on this one for the uncorking, the traditional uncorking of the opinions here in the nerd room. Carlos, the return of Keaton's Batman. We've got a huge Flash story the ending of the DCEU, maybe? And a whole lot of Ezra Miller's flash in here. Like, how did you walk out of this movie given the level of anticipation that you had going into it? Yeah, man. Um, and you know what? I'll rewind it just like a little bit because you were talking about the the hype levels there. And um, it was funny as we were driving to the theater, like my kid, she's like just about pulling her face off. She's like so jacked for seeing this movie and uh, she turns to me and she says like how excited are you and I kind of wasn't and it wasn't because of seeing anything or any baggage or anything like that 
but because of the weird rollout that they did, all of our usual crew and set of friends that we start hyping these movies up with and that we do those preemptive live streams with and um, we talk about our levels of anticipation, um, that had all been taken away because of the pre-screenings and whatnot. And so I, my anticipation was actually a bit muted by that point in time. Like the reviews were pretty solid. The fan reviews were pretty solid. So I was like, ah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I was pretty confident that I'd enjoy the movie, but um, man, it, uh, it totally blew me away. Like I was pleasantly surprised at how solid a Barry Allen story they told mm-hmm. through this. And um you know, it's his first solo movie and he's the title character. So um, all credit to the story being focused on Barry, but like the the Batman stuff just, man, like we've never had Batman like that on screen, be it the Affleck stuff at the beginning, during the daytime, just high action sequences, really comic booky, and um, just just really fun and just reveling in what it is and what it's interpreting and then that michael keaton batman like that batman didn't exist anywhere outside of our imaginations and the packages mm-hmm. for the action figures like <laughs> just so damn cool and they played everything perfectly and we'll get into it more later and then um yeah and then you get into the treats at the end and it it just blew me away and it was just such a celebration of all things dc and all things um dc on film and i kind of dug that they leaned into the the whole grant morrison everything matters it all counts type of thing and mm-hmm. um I, I thought it was a pretty poetic closing to the dc universe all its ups and downs and this movie was very <laughs> reflective of this where it was the the highest highs and some uh, a couple low lows type of thing but you know at the end of the day i on a meta level, it was probably the perfect film to close out the DCEU. And um, it, it left me pretty happy. Like, I was uh, so excited to show it to my wife the next day kind of thing. And that's why I had to see it twice was just we couldn't get the family all there um, in one sitting. So we had to do it in two groups. But um, I've been stung with that before where it's just like, oh, God, I do not want to have to sit through this film again. But in this case... <laughs> I couldn't get through Friday fast enough to get back to the cinema. I'm I'm so pleased to hear that. And I can't wait to talk about Keaton's Batman and the Batman stuff at the start. And, you know, we have, we've had a lot of Batman in the last couple of years, a lot of different iterations and versions and takes on Batman. And it's like you said, it's kind of a nice poetic twist on the whole thing that we get so many Batmans to talk about here in this one specifically. But Ian, what about you walking out of the theater here, your, your anticipation walking in, how you're feeling walking out on this one. Just let, let's, let's hear a bit of that uh, that high level review. Um, so yeah, I guess for me, like I I had a kind of weird day. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, like I went to actually see Spider Verse in the morning because it came here at, on the same day. Um, so for me, like I was just super excited to watch these two films in the same day, um, and I don't know if that had an impact on how much I liked the Flash. Uh, based on the fact that I watched Across the Spider-Verse in the morning and I just thought this was like a masterpiece and one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, But yeah, going in, like I was super excited. And I think, you know, just to repeat what Carla said, like that kind of uh, excitement was partly taken away just because of the time I was seeing it. And it's happened with the Spider-Verse as well. You know, I'm jumping online wanting to talk about it and everyone's already been speaking about it for the last couple of weeks. 
-hmm. and it does take away a little bit from the your kind of anticipation and your excitement for the movie um so i felt like yeah i had a very similar experience with that just because i couldn't see those those pre-screenings um but going in i was really excited it was like a packed out imax uh, theater you know people were in their flash t-shirts and i thought this is going to be amazing like this is such a, a huge event like all of these people coming out to see this movie um and yeah like coming out of the movie i'll say that i did enjoy the movie there were aspects of the movie that i thought were great or that were really well done um but there were a lot of things that did also take me out of the experience and things that i didn't feel kind of worked as well as I would like them to have done. Uh, even today, like wanting to go to see the movie today, I do feel like after I've thought about the movie more, especially thinking about the story, um, I'm starting to like it less. And that's why I want to kind of see it for a second time to kind of, you know, s confirm whether these things are justified or, or not. Um, I do think I went in there with a little bit too much excitement. And I do think that can have an effect on how you enjoy the movie. Uh, also, the kind of reception from the audience might help also have an effect. So, yeah, you know, being the negative British guy, like, to be honest, overall, I think <laughs> the movie was okay. It's one that I want to rewatch. But as an overall movie, I don't think it was great. I think it was a good movie, but it wasn't <clears throat> a great movie. And, yeah. That's how I feel. Well, we're going to get into to all that and pull, and pull that apart a little bit because I it's funny because I find myself and, and like, as we do these reviews or these discussions, I'll say less a review, more of a discussion. I, I find myself finding my footing on the movie or not. The majority of movies I see, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I walk out with a smile on my face. I was the same guy that walked out and was like, yeah, Ant-Man 3 was fine. Like, it wasn't the best movie in the world, but like, sure. Like, I didn't. I, I sometimes it takes me time to process these things and and you know find alignment or I have to watch it again or I just don't revisit it if I was like yeah it was cool and sometimes I have to say I say to myself I gotta go watch that again because I didn't understand something or like Guardians I was like yes I can't wait to show this to my kids and my wife and all this kind of stuff so like I, I often walk out <clears throat> not indifferent but without a negative opinion on anything and you know, I've had time to process this and, and watch things unravel online. And if I give you my first opinion as I walked out of the theater, I really enjoyed this movie. Of course, there's pieces that, that I found were less enjoyable throughout, but the core of the story being a Barry Allen solo movie, a Barry Allen story, and really a Barry Allen origin story inside of this much grander event, I thought that was fantastic. Like I said before we started, I came for Michael Keaton's Batman. I stayed for Ezra Miller's Baryon slash Flash because they were so compelling mm -hmm. throughout this whole movie. They acted their ass off and it, it was it was just such a fun story. It was a grand story. And, and like you said, Carlos, it was kind of a this very nice way to close out the DCU. I know we have Aquaman still and all, and all that, but it kind of brought a lot of things together and in some ways, it set a foundation for what's going to come. But holistically, I, I thoroughly enjoy this, especially the Barry Allen and the 89 stuff. There, there's some other stuff that we're going to get into here in a few minutes that I was like, do we really need this? Is there other ways we could have explored certain aspects of the film? But I think ultimately, this is a great film, a film worth seeing on the big screen. And let, let's stop 
talking in generalities and let's just jump into it here guys let's talk about the core of this story let's talk about barry allen carl's the, the flash his story and like i said did you see it the same way i did that this was essentially for in some degrees an origin story for the flash we got to see him getting his powers we got to see him going back and, and visiting his hardship his tragedy that defined him as as bruce wayne put it and and it kind of really showed where he went and how he's grown from that 18 year old kid into the older version of himself so you got to contrast who he was before to who he is now like are you seeing all those pieces or was it was it a little different for you like what, what are your thoughts here on, on the barry allen story yeah no with that like i thought it was a brilliant way of tying together all these things that they had to juggle right in that mm -hmm. you have an established universe that we've met this character in already and you've seen barry allen do these amazing things and he saves the universe once by running back in time a little ways in the justice league movie and for christina hodson and the muschietti's to craft this story that builds on that builds on all these things we've already had um but then also gives you a mechanism where you can give proper time and explore his origin the mm. tragedy that kind of forms his worldview um you know that his father being wrongfully incarcerated was kind of the driving thing that they speak to in those previous movies but we never really get to explore it in a substantive way so um, yeah, I thought it was amazing. And they did it just so efficiently. Like he has mm -hmm. that conversation with Iris and he's like, you know, three lives ruined for the sake of a can of tomatoes. And then that's what sends Barry on this uh, path where he decides to kind of go against the advice that's been given to him by Batman and kind of explore that thing that he played with a little bit during um the Zack Snyder's Justice League with going back in time and he runs her all the way back and puts you in a position where he gets to meet his younger self and we get to see how that character's grown from who he mm -hmm. was um before he got his powers to who he is now and um I I, I just loved all of that I thought they did a really good job and that they even went back and um used Barry 2 as a POV for what the Flash was doing over the course of time and yeah. to you know and instead of the oh here's the guy and he gets his powers and then he's playing with his powers and then this thing happens in Metropolis so he uses his powers and uh, that they just kind of did the flashback things as a way of informing Barry 2 as part of his training for lack of a better term and um carrying things forward and, and i thought it was cool that barry was so frustrated with his younger self which is why yeah. he took that mentorship role on to to try and push things forward and it didn't fall to batman or that barry too was swooning over supergirl and that's why he got his stuff together that it was because he was being mentored by his older self who's mm -hmm. had the benefit of time to figure that stuff out right and and those are things that we all kind of think of right like be it some awkward interaction with a girl in high school that you still think about now wishing like if only I could go back and tell myself to <laughs> say X, Y, Z instead of ABC or, or whatever. Right. And so, yeah, I, I thought that that was pretty amazing that they pulled that off as deftly as they did. And yeah. And it, it's, it's always a forward progressing narrative, especially 
when they're telling his origins. Like it's all part of this outlook that is getting you to that point further down the road. They, they never, to me, they never pause the movie for the sake of explaining all the flash stuff. It's all part of everything that's going forward into the, the future and into the movie and, and how things unravel and develop as you're progressing all that. Like that's, that's not an easy feat to tell. Like, I didn't really think of it until after that. This was actually a flash origin story. Like it's just his first movie. We've never really seen his origin and you've got to introduce a crowd of people to this that maybe didn't see Zack Snyder's justice league on, on max in the pandemic, or maybe haven't been plugged into everything that's going on. And so you, you have to, in a sense, say, here's the flash. He runs really fast, but we're going to work his origin in here. Very clever, very economic storytelling. That's a word I love to use in these reviews when I'm, I'm able to praise and heap that praise on on the storytellers is, is because that is so important, especially with a pretty dense movie like this when you're dealing with time travel. Now, now I want I want to pull you into this here, Ian, with with Barry, and then we're going to kind of swap back and forth across some of the the themes and some of the characters that we do see pop up here. But because this is such an important part of the story, is this a piece that you saw as a highlight or a low light? Because you did you did infer that there are some low lights here that we're going to touch on. Is this one of them, or did you see this piece of it as being uh, kind of more where where the movie excelled? Yeah, this is this is definitely the the highlight for me. I think throughout the throughout the movie, I do think that you know the idea that this is kind of an origin story and at the same time a kind of swan song like I think the execution of it is really well done um as you said like it's very uh, economical like just how they pull that off and how they tell that story and how you have these two characters interacting with each other and learning from each other uh how you get to see of course the flash and what he's been doing uh between these movies but also to see you know the, the type of person he has become over time throughout from being a hero um, so I do think like that is a very strong part of this movie. And I do think it's actually done in a way that's quite original. Uh, it's quite different. And I do think mostly it was executed pretty well. Like for me, the, the kind of the, the problem is with it is I think it's a very good idea, but I think the execution overall is a little messy at times. And that's partly where I do have the issue with that Barry story. Um, I think just because it is quite comp complex near the end and it is uh, gets a little co convoluted, I start asking a little bit too many questions, I think. And I think by dissecting it, then I start confusing myself and then it becomes a bit of a mess for me. Mm -hmm. um, but just sitting back and especially that first time just watching it, I did think, you know, this was definitely one of the highlights of the movie and just how Ezra Miller... Uh, pulls it off like I have no idea how they film two people speaking to each other you know this one person as two characters through a whole movie you know interacting with each other as well as they did like I don't I can't think of another movie that has done it as well you know we've seen mm -hmm. stuff like Moon Knight but I don't think I've seen a movie that you've had that much screen time with the same actor playing two characters in such close proximity and you know, do it so well. And these people seem like very different, you know, different ages. It's not something yeah. like, you know, a Shazam where you're having two actors playing the same person and they seem they don't match, but they should mm -hmm. match because of the the kind of short, smaller age difference. These two people are people that we've, two characters that we have seen before. You know, we have seen this goofy Barry uh, in the previous movies. And it's someone that, you know, a lot of people have, kind of criticized and didn't find likable and how they yeah. kind of played on that 
with a more matured Barry. I think that was a really clever idea. The only only downside for for me was that we did get to have a whole movie with the goofy Barry. And I'm not the biggest fan of seeing that. There were times where he did annoy me a little. He was a little bit irritating, oh, yeah. but he was supposed to be. And that's why I could kind of accept it. You know, there were moments where I'm like, oh man, I, I wish this guy would stop telling jokes. There were more jokes in this movie than a Shazam movie, than a James Gunn movie. It was joke after joke after joke. And I get it because it was this goofy version of Barry. Um, but that that was something that did take me out of it a little. But I, as I said, like, I know the reason why that happened. It did have purpose. It did make sense. And just the way that the actor and, you know, the the writing uh, pulled it off was pretty, uh, pretty impressive, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Stoner, Stoner Barry did great a little bit, <laughs> but I, I liked the juxtaposition. Like, I, I feel that it was intentional and it made older Barry stand out a lot more in his progression. And I love how they stripped him of his powers. <clears throat> And and that he had to fill that mentorship role, like you're saying, Carlos, with his younger self. Like it, it all just works in really progressing the character. Like you look at the character, you know, and we talk about this from time to time. Like, does the character actually develop or move inside of the movie? And older Barry made a massive leap, more so than most characters we see across a lot of these comic book movies. It's like, you know, we criticize things in the past of, you know, you pick up a character, you play with it, and then you put it right back down in the same spot. I don't think older Barry falls victim to that inside of this film. Mm-hmm. I feel he progresses, mm-hmm. he learns a lot, he develops. I, I, I like, I'm, I'm happy to hear like the the other side of it, but I think he learns a lot about himself inside of. This. I think he learns a lot about himself. I will agree with that. I do think that was story wise. Like, I mean, I don't know if we'll get to that. Like, we might talk about that a bit later. But just story wise, I do think you know, especially that end decision that he makes at the end really takes away from from the movie in the way that we've seen him have a, a less learn a lesson and really kind of grow and understand himself as a superhero but also understand himself as someone who has to sacrifice something for the greater good and then in the end in a split second he just you know, throws that all away and makes exactly the same mistake as he did at the start of the movie. I like I like this the cans going on top. I yeah. thought it was clever. But with <laughs> with that, like they still had to suffer something, right? Like his mom still had to die and his dad still mm-hmm. had to go to prison. So he changes like what he changes. Like I do I do agree that he still uh, plays with fire, having just gone through this journey and seeing how catastrophic it can be. But he, what he was trying to do the first time was to go back so that nothing bad happened to his family, right? Whereas when he goes back and just kind of changes the position of the cans on the shelf, all those bad things still have to happen to him. And all that it does is it just changes the video so that they suffer through these things, but his dad comes out on the other side of the crucible kind of thing. But then we do see that there was a consequence for that mm-hmm. right and he but he is told numerous times i mean batfleck does tell him if you stand on the wrong blade of grass you'll have a major change and then that's every time travel movie it's the same thing like it's like 
like they're they're and I I see the point about Barry still falling victim to and like most time travel and multiverse stuff is is selfishness like that is the driving force. You look at every single one that's come out in the last like three years, all of them, all the MCU ones, everything is all self motivated. I want to change something to make my life better, but it has this net consequence of affecting the entire universe. And I think this one. <clears throat> Like I'm a big fan of like fixed point stuff inside of multiverses. Like there's things that are inevitable and like they show that, but the one thing that's inevitable in Barry's life is his mom has to die. And like that accepting that is, is very difficult and very emotional. And I think that his whole thing, his whole life has been based on not accepting the fact that his father did it, not accepting this fact that his mother had to die, not accepting the fact that like it, it wasn't this. And then he comes to a point where he's like, I have to accept this inevitability. This fixed point in my life is that my mother has to die. And yeah, we see the consequences of the can thing and he screws things up, but like that, that's almost feels like it, it's, you know, as cliche as it is. And like, there's an inevitability of him messing up the, the multiverse because it has to happen for the story. Mm-hmm. So whether whether it's good or not, I don't know. But I think ultimately, to me, when I look at Barry, I'm like, there, there's a progression there. He has to imagine making that decision. Like you have the power to change this to for your mother to live and for you to have this life and experience this life. But the consequences are are the whole world ends. And like and so that's very extreme. But I think ultimately that he does grow in that sense and he's able to make that decision. Ultimately yeah, well, that's, fully, I mean, that's, but... I think that's, I mean, that, that is, again, the, the one thought that I found extremely strong and it was kind of very emotionally impactful. Just that scene where he sees himself, you know, put the can into the, the cart and then he has to then physically go and remove mm-hmm. it again. And knowing that, you know, he's basically the action that he's doing, it's not like he's just standing back and letting it happen now it's he's having to do something physical and take that Mm -hmm. can away to then lead to the death of his mother and i think you know that's such a big you know a big action something that's so impactful and so well done and it's such an emotional moment like him having to say goodbye to his mother in that moment and let her die so for me, I think, again, like that's just where it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Because if we didn't get that very last scene, I would have been like, what the hell? Of course, you know, putting the... Because Michael Keaton's told you, you change the few, you change any part of time. It creates a whole new mm-hmm. reality, right? It creates a whole new multiverse. It doesn't just change the past. It, also, it doesn't just change the future. It also changes this past. And that was, and that was just the one point that kind of made me feel like, well... You know, did he did he learn anything in that sense? Because, you know, if that's the case, if he's gonna make that change, it just it just opens so many kind of questions for me. Like, why why does he not just go back and see who killed his mother? Like, you know, we kind of know who it is from the comics, but like he could have very easily gone back and looked at who he can see who killed his mother come back to the future and then his dad's in prison and he could just go and get the killer and bring them to the police and say, it's the same. It's the same net effect. You're, you're using information from the past to change the future. That's what, but that's what I, I mean. But that makes more sense than re- like removing a can of tomatoes to, to me, just from my perspective, like I just feel like, but the result is still the same as father's out of prison. Right. 
but the person who's being who killed his mother is being caught and nothing was changed in the past only what's changed after his father's in prison whereas yeah, by that, removing the cans he's actually he's, changing you're, you're into a paradox loop like because yeah. he's using information from the past to change the future therefore changing the future that was like if you're thinking single stream Anyways, you end up in a bowl of spaghetti is what happens. Yeah, because the cans is kind of the same thing, right? Because he would. Yeah, the information doesn't come to them in the uh, with the future, like be it the killer or just exonerating his dad, because it's not until Bruce Wayne is able to enhance the VCR from 1980, whatever, right, <laughs> to to get the information off there um, so that you can clearly see his dad. So it does kind of have the same effect as what you're talking about, but it, it's, it's, it's hard because these multiverse movies, these time travel movies, like the best that's ever been done is, is back to the future linear. You go, you change the, the past, you skew off in, into a new future with this model that Michael Keaton presented with the spaghetti essentially is that like, you've got intersections and overlaps and things are going all over the place and there's no control over it. You know, the idea that time is a loop and, you're, you're always on it. I don't understand it, and we're not going to break it down here, but time is a bowl of spaghetti is the, the running theme here with, with time travel because it's so utterly confusing and what you change and what you don't <laughs> change. Like, who knows? But what I do know is that this movie had a lot of great action scenes. Carlos, let's talk about this first action scene with Batman, Affleck Batman. We get Wonder Woman making her second appearance of the year inside of i think i don't know if was she on the yeah she was in shazam so yeah. we've got her showing up twice we've got this big action set piece with falcone big chase come on talk to me about this one and I, I thought it was awesome like i'm just like edge of my seat it's the start of the movie you've got some nice banter going back and forth you've got batman in a new suit looking great talk to me about this carlos oh i thought it was so cool and it they did so much work like number one I was so pleasantly surprised to see Jeremy Irons Alfred show up. I had no yes, idea. Yes, mm, that was yeah. awesome. That he was yeah, in the movie. Sure. And I love that he was kind of the quarterback trying to coordinate mm. the members of the Justice League. And it picked up nicely from where we last, last saw that character. But it also filled in so much of the story for where Barry's at and where he views himself and how he's like, I'm how come I'm always the last guy called and I'm the, just the janitor to clean mm. things up after the fact but um i love that and then just just that batman like we have we've had fantastic batman from like 89 right up until pattinson but we've never had that kind of comic booky batman doing things that are just past the edge of reality as far as you know a guy in his 40s flipping around and jumping onto vehicles and in through sunroofs and like <laughs> it, it was just awesome to see that Batman and like the car chase. And there was like small things that I love, which is like he's on the bike and he uses less lethal technologies to get the vehicle going the way that he wants it to go kind of thing. Right. Where he mm -hmm. has like his little spike belt thing and um, he's got like the rubber bullets and whatnot flying all over the place and how he's managing the, the kind of road carnage uh as he goes i i thought it was brilliant like i just i love that and then like when affleck jumps on top of the suv there and he's like just putting the boots to these guys it was it just looks so cool and then you get like that close-up shot of him 
in in the vehicle and the one guy dumps himself out like yeah it, it made my heart sing i thought it was brilliant like i i loved all of that stuff and it's like we've ne- like all the batman movies that we've had we've never actually had a batman like that who's whipping around daytime. yeah daytime like whipping around all over the place and um yeah i i thought it was cool not as cool as what we get a little bit later on but yeah i i really liked it and i thought it was like this whole movie was like such a great send off for Affleck's Batman where it was just like you get some baller stuff of him in the costume. You get like perfect character work of him a little bit later on as Bruce Wayne and kind of closes the book on his era. And yeah, I, I thought they acquitted themselves well and uh, Diana showing up like I had actually read a spoiler that they'd cut that out. So I was operating under the assumption that she doesn't show up. So when the lasso ties the two of them together and the music kicks on, I thought that was brilliant. And the dialogue I thought was hilarious. With yeah. The three of them yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, the lasso. It was, yeah, it was perfect, man. It was perfect. Well, and like you said, that this is a very comic book-esque opening. Like this is a, a very hard opening and you just get in the seat and you're running almost as fast as Barry Allen into this. And it's a lot of fun. Like you said, the dialogue between Batman and Barry Allen and the establishment of, of where he sits as far as the Justice League goes, it's a nice pull in of what's happened before. It's a nice bridging uh, into the Justice League and the previous movies as, as somewhat disassembled as it all feels. It, it kind of pulls things together a little bit and demonstrates that, yes, there is an established universe that exists for, for those that don't know, here's Batman, here's Wonder Woman. Oh, Superman's over here doing this. Does a very good job at saying, like, this is kind of what the world that we live in right now. It is metahuman heavy. We've got a lot of this stuff going on. This is where we sit, and this is where the Flash, Barry Allen, falls in sort of in sort of the pecking order of things with regards to, to the Justice League and all that. And so it provides just a really nice baseline jumping into this movie as to where you go. Ian, you feel in the same way about this first action set piece, given the scale of it and all the, the kind of the nice cameos we get with Jeremy Irons and Wonder Woman and just kind of the establishment piece of, of the start of this movie. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, you know, that was, especially after seeing that scene, I was just like, you know, here we go, man, this is, this movie is going to be pretty insane. Um, especially the Batman moments, like just that, that bat cycle, like, you know, I know we'd seen it in the trailers, but man, just my heart was just like beating so fast, like how it pulls up and the sa- the sound in the theater and it just dropping and everything about that whole scene was just like so exhilarating. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I loved how that's kind of had a set up in a way that it's showing where these characters are and the fact that they are working together. You know, it was great seeing Alfred in the cave that we'd seen, you know, in the the Justice League and just having that kind of connectivity as well. Um, and yeah, again, like, you know, that's where in some parts of the movie, the humor didn't work for me, but that was just like laugh out loud funny. You know, them on the bridge with the, the, the lasso <laughs> and just like them confessing things. <laughs> it was just yeah. like, I just thought that was absolutely hilarious. It was great. I know what sex is, but <laughs> <laughs> so good. And Batman admitting that he's created this facade <laughs> it was just so well done. And at first I didn't know what, what Bruce was saying. I was like, what? I was like, oh, right. Well, that's, yeah, because he was, they, they, before they show him with it wrapped around his hand, yeah. right? Like he's, he's saying his stuff. And I'm like, what? Hold on. What's, 
is this are we already in like a multiverse or something what's he talking yeah. about and then it's just like he's just making all these confessions it was great yeah. <laughs> phenomenal use of all of that now now that that establishes our present day we've kind of got the barry story we've got where we're at in the dceu universe now we have to shift over to the past or a different universe i should say not the past a different universe but to get there we have to travel through it's the speed force is it is this also the cosmic treadmill that he's on? Is that the same thing? It's, this or, is the chrono bowl is what they call it. Chrono, the chrono bowl. bowl. Yeah. Okay. The chrono bowl. Okay. So talk to me guys about this aspect, this mechanism that they use to travel around the multiverse, him entering it and going into it with Barry number two, like Carlos, this, the way that they constructed this and the look of it too, because this is where we've seen a little bit of criticism tossed at it is the, the speed force and this is quite a scene because it, it really sets up how he's moving around and it's somewhere we visit quite a bit and it's actually where we get some of the climatic pieces of the movie so this is an important set piece this chronoble for for this whole movie and it establishes how we move from point a to point b but the look of it is is a bit odd like and i i knew that to expect that because you had kind of briefed me on this carlos yeah. saying like just a heads up like it's a little it's, there's something a little bit funny here and i saw a few things that you posted that it was a, a little bit intentional but it just talk to me about about that piece of it yeah like i i did have the benefit like way before um even the bulk of the screenings happened like andy muschietti talking about those choices being intentional I actually read something by a film student saying, like, if you actually watch his movies, he is a bit wacky with the way he approaches the CGI stuff. Um, for me, though, like, I love the idea of the Chrono Bowl and how they used it and how it was a storytelling mechanism. Like, probably the cameo stuff aside, but, like, the best example was after uh, Barry places the can of tomatoes and you get to see him walking through all these like moments with his parents, right. With mm -hmm. the birthdays and the graduation and stuff like that. Um, so I, I thought that they can, the conception of the mechanism and how they utilized it was perfect, but like the look and the choice of going with that look, it just didn't come off. Like it came off a bit uncanny Valley and, yeah, 100%. Um, it, it just looks unfinished, right? Like, I, I think there's times where you do those things and they look purposeful, like Man of Steel using the Kryptonian um, technology to um, illustrate the history of Krypton in, like, mm -hmm. the silver, um, like... Sand, yeah. magnet-looking stuff, or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, like, that's a stylistic choice. It looks cool. Or the better example is, like, Wonder Woman, where they use, like, the painterly style to mm -hmm. showcase the history of the amazons on earth and stuff whereas this it's like so so those are artistic choices and you can see the purpose in them playstation 3 cutscene is not an artistic choice i don't think <laughs> so like that's like for me that's where it's like you should know what people like how people are going to receive that and like yeah, I get it that it's in the speed force and it's going to look a bit distorted and this and that. But I think there's a way that you can convey that it's an artistic intent as opposed to just looking outdated or out unfinished type of thing. And this might have charm for Ian's grandkids when they go back and watch this movie because 
that'll have a quaint look to it with however they're used to with the leaps in technology at that point in time. But for us now, it's just like you're, we're so close to those kind of outdated, not quite there yet pieces of CG and other movies and in video games and stuff like that, that it just looked like something that wasn't quite there yet. Do, do you get what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, um, so yeah, I, I do think that they hurt themselves a bit by going that way. And then also just letting it linger as long as they did. Like one of the scenes that I loved in this movie was the baby scene, the baby rescued the hospital. I thought it was like yes. so inventive, but also because you lingered on those babies as long as you did, it also made it look kind of weird. And there's lots of things you could have done even just with like the baby blankets and hats and stuff to obscure those faces. But cause you leaned into it so much. Cause you're like, ah, oh, that's mm-hmm. how it looks in the speed force. It's like, Dude, no, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was a pretty yeah, baby, Those babies were scary, man. Like, I gotta <laughs> no. say, like, when they started zooming in on their faces and they were pulling the, these expressions, and then, like, I'm like, I don't know if this. I actually thought in the cinema, like, is this intentional? Is this how things are supposed to look in the Speed Force? But then, like, when they he slows down, the babies are there lying on that that bed. Yeah. And they're still using the CG babies and he's out of the speed force and he opens the microwave and his baby's in there. And I'm like, bloody hell, that's, that's the scariest looking baby I've ever seen. And I yeah. understand you can't put a baby in a microwave. There's no way they could probably get around that. But then he pulls out this baby and he's holding it. And it's like, the difference was like night and day. Like it's the tone of the tone of the skin was completely different. You know, like yeah. everything was really, so that was quite jarring. I think that, that use of uh, overuse of the CG and how it was so bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, I don't know. Like I, I think that if, if it's not quite there, then a more, if you're going to be sneaky about it, then you just find cheats, right. Or find cheats where you just have your actual babies and you shoot them in film and then insert them into the CG backgrounds and stuff like that. But yeah. um, it, the, the whole, yeah, the whole CG piece of it, I wouldn't say it took me out, but like I didn't like the stylistic choice of it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I also didn't really love the speed for it, like when he's inside of it. Like it, it was like the idea of this being like this real in front of him. I liked it, like we said, when he's going through and seeing the memories and everything like that. But it just, I don't know, just the mechanism just unfortunately didn't work for me. Like it was fine, and it didn't the... like. They released a statement today. Did you see that statement where they, they explained what the Chronoball the Chronoball is? And it was like no, their no. their production team said the Chrono like I've got here the Chronoball is a visual metaphor for your memories and not a literal reality. Hmm. And I was like, I I don't really understand what that means. But they're but I don't right. know if that's something that they're gonna use or they'll probably explain a little more to explain why it looks quite distorted and why it's quite unusual you know they're probably trying to present a certain idea but it's just very hard to capture on film so that's why it comes across as something that we don't fully understand i guess yeah which is cool but it's like if you if you can't get you have to remember like there's always an audience there right so i'm kind of with Mm -hmm. you with that statement where it's like yeah that's fine if you say that but if I can't sit down and watch that and at least get most of the way there on my own, then maybe it's not the most prudent stylistic choice, right? Like you talked about across the spider verse, like 
with that you watch it and it's like right away you kind of get it it's like no spoilers but like right off the hop it's like oh this vulture he comes from some kind of renaissance type era because he's got this kind of pen and ink type of look to him right and spider-man 2099 oh he must be kind of futuristic because he's got the most computer animation to him and spider-punk's got this newsprinty stuff so you kind of get the visual language that they're going for whereas with this it's like I don't know if you have to release a statement after your visual language didn't come across to folks. Well, and, yeah, and true, especially yeah. like your visual language, like like you're saying there, Carl, is just to pull on that thread a little bit. It, it should be descriptive in and of itself. It should simplify the concepts that you're trying to speak out loud. Mm -hmm. And this, for me, this didn't. Like I didn't understand how he was traveling through time. And like, yeah, I get that he's going from one place to another. And the way like he punctures through things and... And the fact that Barry number two could do it immediately was like, it wasn't like something that only he could do, which is a little confusing. And it just, it, it, to me, it, the visuals and the whole concept of it made it more complex when you're already dealing with a, a spaghetti bowl full of, of ideas and concepts inside of the multiverse, which like from any universe, I just, I do not fully grasp or understand. And like, there wasn't this moment, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong guys, where they kind of set up the rules for, the the multiverse outside of that spaghetti scene with with michael keaton right like they just you, you change a point in time and it just just changes everything and so the chrono ball just it didn't yeah the, the, well that was like it said, that, i think that was it didn't work for me for me that was like again the question like is there only one chrono ball in uh, one chrono ball in each of the the earth like you know that we see that at the end like is there's only one exists because you know you have two barriers running in and they're both in the same chrono bowl but there are like, instances later where you know barry number two you know not prime barry the other barry the goofy barry starts doing making changes by himself and you know does that put him in a different multiverse a different reality no and also it, like it... you changing things do you are you able to do you know like keaton's lion thing i thought it was quite an, a nice explanation but it's like how are you able to get back onto a previous line of spaghetti or once you've made a change are you stuck within that multiverse like you know can flash make the changes based on past and future so if he changes a past on a a, di a divergent line multiverse does he then create another multiverse mm -hmm. or does he is he able to re is he ever able to ever return to his multiverse his universe you know because he's left it and he's made a change he's now fallen into another one and then that gets really confusing for me because then when he returns at the end he's the only barry in that universe but if it's an alternate multiverse shouldn't there be another barry because it is an alternate universe because there's a different batman so then for shouldn't there be another barry <laughs> we're down we're down we're down the, the multiverse path again <laughs> So that's why Which the is... rules, like, I don't know if they, they, it's impossible for them to explain the rules, but like, I did like, I don't know how Keaton knew about all this. That was another kind of confusing thing, but I liked his explanation of. Well, I, I think they, the... they had like a theory, right? Like a scientific theory that mm -hmm. it, it just seemed like he had okay. read about something like it yeah. was theoretical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, let's, let's jump into the multiverse as, as we're having this conversation and Carlos, Let's just get to it, man. Michael Keaton back as Batman. Oh, speak on it, man. Like it, <laughs> it freaking couldn't have been any more perfect for me. Like I loved 
everything about it. I loved like the ninja old man thing yeah. that they did with <laughs> him with the callback to the meeting between Affleck and the uh, and Barry one with the batarang throw, except this Batman throws a frying pan at Barry two. And I love that they were still respectful of the character. I love that he wasn't crazy old man. He was just kind of living out his days, but he needs to just occupy less space because it's just him in this house. And I love that the reason that he's kind of a hermit is just because he doesn't know what to do with himself because mm-hmm. he dedicated his life to his mission. And I adore the fact that he's by himself because his mission was a success. Like yeah. he's not Batman because he's like, well, Gotham is one of the safest cities in the world. Like I don't, you know, what am I going to do? Use the Batmobile to pull over the occasional drunk driver. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I love that because he, he, he was a recluse because he lost his purpose, not because he became jaded and lost his mm-hmm. way or uh, became cynical or brutal or anything like that. It's like, well, no, I actually kind of, pulled it off a bit and like who knows what else he did to you know solve solve the problems like um in that sam ham batman 3 comic that they wrote like bruce actually starts doing things to uh financially support the community and do some kind of socioeconomical things to try and improve life in gotham so that kind of factored into why he was where he was but then i love that Barry plays those kind of notes that ring true for Batman. It's like, well, um, I'm just trying to do this thing because I want to be in a position where I can save my parents type of thing. And like Batman will be in for that hundred percent of the time, every time. Mm-hmm. And then that he kind of plays the Alfred card and that's what gets him to cut his hair and shave off his beard. And like, man, that Batman was freaking magical in that costume. Like when he comes down and he's just like kicking at, like in just everything, like every moment of him in that costume was utter perfection. I didn't love, like I didn't dislike any of it. Like it was all great. And like they had some comedic bits, like with them and the old guy where he just kind of lunges at him to scare him off. And the old guy (laughs) doesn't react to him just tearing through those soldiers in the, little bowl in Russia there. And yeah, it it was awesome. Like I, I, I didn't know what I was going to expect, but like everything was just so cool. Like I, I don't think they could have done a better job with, to be honest with you. So yeah. No. And, and especially in the world that we live in right now too, with like the multiverse happening across all the different universes inside of DC and Marvel and, and these cameos and these returns of characters, like we're getting, you know, Wolverine coming back, Hugh Jackman, we're getting all these characters revisiting roles and we're getting these, you know, once rumored things like the Nick Cage thing that shows up in here. And then John Krasinski as, as Mr. Fantastic and all this, this one is by far the most well-executed as well as the most meaningful. And I think it fits more organically inside of, of the story. Like it, it all just works for me. And the fact that you're, you're like you said, you, you mentioned like the motivating factor for him is, is about the parents and, and like one of my favorite scenes with Keaton is after one of the battles when he's sewing himself up mm-hmm. and he's smiling as he's doing it. He's like, it's like he, he got something back. 
And like, that was, it was just very cool. Like it was like this moment, like, yeah, we watched this character in 89 and did the nineties do this thing. And then here he is back being like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really digging this. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved the idea of, of Batman being a means to an end. This is something that's played within the Nolan films, right? Where, you know, Batman is there to get Gotham to a point that where law and order can prevail over crime. And that once that mission is done, then it's time for district attorney Harvey Dent or whomever to take over and do this thing without the violence. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that he got Gotham to there and that his, the need of the Batman, w- which was always meant to be a means to an end is no longer. Like, I think that's, that's very cool. And I love the way that you put that Carlos that, you know, it kind of puts a meaningful point on, on everything on his mission, you know, that it was a success and like, and then you've got, you know, things continuing on after that, but just, just wonderful stuff and and all this Keaton being back. And then I also want to talk about about Supergirl. I have a take on Supergirl here that might not find me in uh, in a favorable space in some circles going forward here, <laughs> <laughs> particularly in your household, Carl's, and maybe with our good friend Eddie. But Ian, talk to me a little bit about Keaton here. But I really want you to get into into Supergirl as the Supergirl aspect of it, or if you'd like me to lead into that and take the first bullet, I can very much do that. <laughs> no, no. Like I mean, I think yeah. Like I think you know, Carlos definitely said everything that that I feel like. Just seeing Keaton as Batman was just you know just mind blowing, and him coming out in that suit. You know, I I felt like we'd seen so much in the trailers, yeah. And I was kind of worried yeah. that that was going to take away, and it did in the sense in some of the action sequences that I really wish I'd seen those sequences for the first time in the movie theater. But at the same time, man, I was just smiling throughout, and especially during like the you know the the fight scenes, and seeing just Keaton just kicking ass, and like you know just being being him when he pulls out that tape measure and stuff, like just the kind of little quirky stuff <laughs> that he does. I like the you know you were talking about him you know with his beard and being like a ninja Batman and sewing himself up, and I like the idea of him. He actually comes across as at times as a bit nuts. He's a bit crazy, and he yeah. is, of course, in the the Burton movies. You know, people always say that. You know, he's a bit of a crazy, unhinged Batman, and they do reflect that in his way, like him stitching himself up and then smiling to himself in the mirror. I'm like, yeah, this guy likes, you know, he likes to to beat people up, and he, you know, he doesn't mind getting hurt, and he's he's kind of back, and he's got he's got some purpose now. So yeah, like I, I really like seeing him. I know I've seen some people saying that he didn't really, it wasn't really meaningful him being in there. He didn't really serve the plot. It could have been any Batman. Um, I think the V thirty nine guys had a good idea with having. They said it would have been better if they. I think it was Nico said to have the Thomas Wayne instead, have like a Flashpoint Batman, and you know that would be a good idea. But I think that would probably take away a little bit from the story where you know it's another one of him trying to you know get someone back who's who's died and this is was essentially a flash story and that should have been the focus so Mm -hmm. i do feel like you know the batman that they chose um was the best choice for me and just seeing that and having to have that for one last time you know seeing my batman the batman i grew up with him being like that and being so cool in this movie was was that was the number one highlight for me it was an absolute treat to see that that's our number two just sorry just before you, you go on here that that the the plot might have not been fully realized inside or like i think he has a meaningful place in this movie but you have to remember too like this was also meant to set up like batgirl and him being batman in this universe going forward right and so like 
Like there, there was a, a larger arc that w- it was serving inside of this. If it, if it didn't fully satisfy every bit and piece inside of the flash, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We like, have, yeah. Cause we did see the, the kind of behind the scenes footage of him at the courthouse at the end. Right. So we do know that, you know, that was, I never saw uh, it. Is that, was that, it was actually shot that way. Yeah. So no, so they, there's loads. There's like, I saw the, it was like a long time ago. It was like early days. It was like very early production. It was like him outside the courthouse. He pulled pulling up in his, like his car. And it was the car that yeah. we got to see um, in the movie. And it was actually him and he was shaved and he had kind of short kind of curly gray hair. Um, he didn't yeah. have the beard, but yeah, like he, you know, it was, it was definitely him. I think yeah. they shot a few because even in the trailer we see Sasha uh, Sasha Calais on the courthouse steps and people yeah. taking photos of her. So of course there, there's another scene with her in that. Oh, um, there was also okay. I I, I, I don't know how true I actually heard yesterday that there was a screening for this movie two weeks before the CinemaCon screening. In the CinemaCon screening is the one that a lot of people saw where there was no you don't see who the person is at the end, and Barry's just like you know what the who the who the f is this. And you don't see who it is. That was mm-hmm. the what they went with the CinemaCon version. But I heard that two weeks prior, people saw a version where it was Pattinson's Batman. No the... way! No I way! Didn't, I, I didn't hear that. But like, apparently, there's the version that was supposed to hit the cinema that they when the changes in the new leadership and whatnot. Uh, was established was going to be yeah so we saw uh, Kai's Supergirl on the courthouse steps and then yeah Michael Keaton's Batman comes out of the vehicle and then Clark Kent and Diana Prince are there but it's Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot and so that was supposed to indicate that that's your new Justice League in in that world and then that would also fit with like the the Keaton Batgirl plans and all that kind of stuff right so um but yeah, like I, I don't know. Like I, let's go. Let's go down that path right now as we're on this Batman, uh, this Batman thread. So Clooney, Clooney, Clooney emerges. Which, what the? F- I agree with Barry. Like, who the f- is this guy? <laughs> like, like, why? Why was that a choice? Like, did, did I miss something somewhere? Like, no, I. What was the way- that was a joke that was out there like months ago? Yeah, and. I don't know like, how, what, like, what, what, I don't what, know when like, they decided that. You have that, Keaton man. there. You just had an awesome performance out of him. Why was this decision made? Like, was it just, like, he's, George Clooney's not going to be in the DCU, no. is he? No, no, no. So I'm fairly confident that that other version of the ending, so by all accounts, like, Cavill filmed that stuff when they did the uh, Black Adam, Black Adam cameo. cameo. And then, yeah, Godot obviously filmed for this movie, right? Um, but that the intent was to set up that Justice League with Michael Keaton doing his thing. But when they moved off that plan, it, like, frankly, like, the audience or, like, the internet guys, like, they're just not mature enough to accept the fact that it's like, this is not what we're going with, but we'll give you this cool stinger at the end. Mm-hmm. So I think they dumped Clooney in there to be like, yep. Yeah, you know what the the message of this movie and with the with all the cameos that we gave you during the multiverse scene is that it all counts like it all counts and this just sits somewhere amongst all those multiverses and it's all getting put on the shelf right because 
if you had put any of those characters in there, like the, it would have been deafening the cries to do stuff with, you know, not only the Cavill and whatnot, but also Michael Keaton and mm-hmm. they'd have the same problem that they did, you know. But before. what if though, man, like I, I'm not, I don't think Clooney will continue, but what if there, cause this is a choice that's being made, you know, after James Gunn has taken over and after they've announced that Mushieti is going to do the Batman movie. And then all of a sudden Clooney turns up at the end. Now, I don't think we're ever going to see that version of Flash again. Mm-hmm. But Moshiria has talked about a sequel and he's talked about the villain that he would have in the sequel. And it just makes me like, I don't know. Like, what if he does go with Clooney and he pulls man, it off? Man, if if Clooney is in there, I will fly to Japan and take you to the movie. My <laughs> <laughs> right. The funny thing that was with me was like, I went, and like it was just out of chance that in my because I teach at university that in my class, one of the guys in my class, he's big on superhero movies. He loves like Marvel movies and yeah. he was going to watch the this movie at the same screening. So he was there with his mates and I didn't get to see with him. I didn't sit with him. I didn't get to see his reaction. Um, but it was like him and, and his his mates. They were like uni students. And it was hilarious. Just like afterwards, I kind of was like hanging out with him for a little bit, just talking about the movie. And like they had no idea who <laughs> George Clooney was. Well, it was it was interesting too because like in our theater, like it it played like there was these older guys kind of sitting off to the one side of our family, and they ate that up. They thought it was the greatest thing ever, like clapping <laughs> and cheering, and thought it was the coolest thing. But then my my daughter's on the other side of me and like another couple of teenagers and they're just like what the, why is the nespresso guy coming <laughs> out of this car here right because they had no idea yeah. so there, there's a few things in this movie where i was like yeah that's wicked for me but is your wife the nick audience- cage as well was like yeah exactly like is your was another one uh, but that, that, was... that was that was the big one I, I we were talking about i was having to explain a lot of the the parent appearances because these the students are only like you know 19 20 years old yeah. and even the one guy like he was the biggest fan out of like the biggest movie guy out of the lot of them and even in class earlier in the day he'd said to me like he was worried about watching this movie because he'd never seen uh batman 89 he didn't know mm-hmm. anything about keaton's batman and he said, like, to prepare for the movie, he'd watch Batman versus Superman. And I was just like, well, that's like, that's going to really do nothing for you, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But like, just for him, like, even that was a little for that group. They were a little confused. They just thought some of them actually just thought that was a new, just an alternative Batman. Like they didn't realize the relevance of, of where mm-hmm. he'd come from. But the whole cameos near the end, like, man, like that just went over all of their heads. And I, I mean, this is these are. Of course, Japanese people who not, didn't have grown up in a very different, uh, you know, around very different media and haven't been exposed to these things. But it made me wonder, like, you know, even for younger people um, in, you know, in Canada, in England, in America, like, would they have connected the dots? Would they have known what a lot of these things? No, were? like my wife, if she went and saw this, would have no clue what was going on. Yeah, like none. Like Christopher, like we grew up, we grew up at the exact same time, like different exposure, of course, but like no clue. Like she might get Christopher Reeves maybe but like the the probably the one that's most recognizable is Adam West and he was like 
they didn't they didn't really push it on the same way in the same way that all the other ones were yeah kind of blink as you and i was i was surprised they didn't use certain people like with the flash the teddy sears version like i don't know why what's his name considering he's done like nine he's done what nine seasons six is it six nine seasons how many seasons has he done at that grant gustin and i mean like yeah that seemed like you a know, like why, in... like that's that's someone that, that more people are gonna be kind of familiar. Well, and considering with. there was a cameo in the CW show with Ezra Miller yeah. too. Well, and it's interesting that you say that, Ian, because like honestly, the one part that bugged me about that whole thing, and it was like, yeah, the Nick Cage thing, like that's super crazy and really cool, but really deep cuts. But that you linger, and that's the last mm-hmm. cameo in the multiverse that you see, like. I do appreciate that it was all versions of Clark because they did have that um, underlying theme where this world is kind of doomed because there's no Superman. And I do appreciate giving a reverence and an importance to Superman. Um, but I think it was like a missed opportunity to not have all your flashes in there. So like John Wesley ship. Grant, Gustin, Grant Gustin like should be. Yeah. Grant Gustin do a version of the animated flash right or put michael rosenbaum in a costume and just mm-hmm. like and that would and for me that would make sense in the way that like you know if these are other flashes who are able to use the chrono bowl in their universe mm-hmm. they would possibly be able to see with outside of the, the chrono bowl but what confused me was like how are these supermen looking out what are they looking out from like is there like is this like a no way home where there's like a tear and then now somehow being able to see through it into another planet, into the Chrono Ball, when they're not moving at the speed of, of light. Like, I was really confused. Whereas if it was flashes, it would make a lot more sense because they have the ability to travel at that speed or be within yeah, the Chrono I, Ball. I think they're kind of time. playing with just like the crisis thing where it's like there's the crisis happening and you look up in the sky or whatever and yeah. you can see like the the tear in space time and the threat coming towards you type of thing. So, um, but I agree though. There was a way like this was probably a little more fan servicey than it needed to be. And there was a more poetic way of tying it all together. Um, like I, I liked it, but it's like, I think you could have served the film better doing it a different way. And like, I don't, I I quite dislike the CW Flash stuff, especially the newer stuff. But it's like that deserved to be one of the main cameos in that whole thing, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Probably when you've your, done that many seasons, one. like even his goodbye was quite an emotional thing that he you know posted on social media where he's been doing this for so long and he had his suits you know lined up. And I'm not someone who watches the Arrowverse, um, you know, Flash movie uh, shows, but like I just felt like. It was a very odd choice. I think the the so so the Teddy. I think he even said like that's so the the one that they have in there, the Jay Garrick Flash yeah. isn't anybody, right? It's I, not anybody famous. No, he does look kind of like Teddy Sears, who wore the Jay Garrick getup before revealing himself to be some kind of Dark Flash. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's the one. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, like, it, it should have been John Wesley Ship, right? And then Grant Gustin at the end instead of Nick Cage. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Like that, and that might have been a bit more relevant for younger people that maybe watch exactly. those those shows and can connect to that. And also the fact that they had already lobbed a, a that they that those two flashes have already met mm-hmm. technically. I guess like I didn't watch it. I watched that cameo. 
but yeah, it seems strange. And like, this is what I wanted in Multiverse of Madness. I wanted like this crazy thing. Like, like this is what a lot of us were talking about for that. It was like, oh, we're going to get like Tom Cruise as Iron Man. And you're going to get like a secret empire, Chris Evans, like a Hydra cap and all this kind of stuff. And like, anyways, it, it I, I, I liked it for like the, for what it was like this, like nice nod, but it almost felt like an opening sequence to a DC movie where you're getting all of these different yeah. things. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it felt like one of those. It's like, Oh, this is like, we recognize everything and everything matters, but this is like the, like the opening credits to every DC movie. Yeah. But yeah. I, like, I, I do like everything else aside and future plans and everything else. I do love that, that piece of climax and, then just kind of cheekily dovetailing into the Clooney piece at the end. Um, really just put a pin in the fact that it's just like, you know what we've had, we've been around for so long. We've yeah. done so many versions. Uh, there's been varying degrees of success from Christopher Reeves, who's beloved to this day to Nicholas Cage, who we didn't actually put the film ever. Right. And that it all matters and that it's all important. And, um, it's all there for you on your uh, DVD shelf and the DC universe will continue kind of thing. Right. So. Um, and it kind of looks like it did, like there were scenes where like, even when they're going past um, the, the certain, the globes, it looked like a film reel. So mm -hmm. you, you see mm -hmm. these, you know, these people moving uh, like it looked like in a, in a kind of film reel. And I thought I that's that's where I felt like it was a nice idea. It was kind of like a wrapping up of, you know, this is everything that you've seen. And all these people, you're constantly complaining about these movies. But look at all of this that we've that you've been given in the past and like yeah. all of these memories. And here we are kind of tying a tying a bow on that. I mean, yeah. when Christopher Reeve came out, when Christopher Reeve flew up, man, I was like, it, yeah. it shocked me, man. I'm like, what? Like, I actually verbally said it, and like the people next to me just like quickly turn around. So I was like in shock. Like, what is that? And then was <laughs> Helen Slater comes up, and then I think that's when it kind of took me out, just because the CG was so bad. <laughs> so like, Helen Slater, yeah. A, a face yeah. didn't look like it was on the head. <laughs> it's like she flies up. I'm like, what? Ooh. That's a bit. That's a bit ghoulish. <laughs> uh, it, it was cool, and I like. I like the way you guys framed this out as, as being like we're gonna recognize and acknowledge everything, and then the next part, the DCU, is gonna be just a continuation of of all these stories of the, of the multiverse and all that. But uh, we got one one person to get to, or one kind of sequence to get to that we we haven't touched on yet. And you know, this this is a pretty dense movie, and we've kind of meandered through it back and forth and trying to to, to walk on both sides of the of the multiverse here. But the last character in the last sequence that we'll we'll talk about to, to wrap this thing up is Sasha Kelly's Supergirl and Zod coming back. I thought Zod coming back was like a, when we saw it in the trailers, I thought, oh, this is really cool. Cause I, I really like what Michael Shannon did in Man of Steel. But as I watch it in the movie, and even Sasha Calais, like, please don't hate me. I don't think this movie needed Zod or Supergirl in it. Like, I'm sorry. Like, there's, I, I like what she did to a degree, but it felt like that extra piece that, I don't know. I don't really know how to articulate it properly, but there's just something about it. The more and more I thought about it, the, the less and less I liked the Zod stuff. Like, it, to me, it felt like it was there so that we could have this like really bombastic action set piece at the end of the movie. Um, but I don't know if it fully served the purpose of, or served the flash story. If I can say that, does that make any sense? Carlos, like where, where do you sit on, on Supergirl and the Zod 
piece of the story. Yeah, like I, um, the the main thing with Zod was that you needed something as a catalyst for Barry two to keep trying to fix, right? Yes. So you did need to have something. So I thought, um, once again, as looking at this as a conclusion, I like that it was a bookend to Man of Steel. Yeah, um, that's fair. Your first movie and your last movie, and it was also like a, a real cheap, like quick and dirty way of getting a villain in that your audience mm-hmm. should be somewhat familiar with. And even if they're not familiar with Man of Steel, it's like, oh, these like bad. So you've had two General Zods already, right? So um, people will have some idea that it's like just as bad. And Barry one explains it. It's bad Kryptonian who's coming and going to mm-hmm. destroy the world kind of thing, right? So you needed that. And then with how you set up your two berries and Barry number two, you needed to have an event where his immaturity would lead him to going back in time constantly, mm-hmm. right? To, to try and fix things. So I, I, for me, that's where that factors in. And um, yeah, I, I, I think it's arguable that you could have had that and still not had Supergirl. But at the same time, like I think they laced her in pretty well. Um, I would have liked to have given her like even just like a 90 second scene where she comes to a place where she loves humanity on her own terms. Like even Mm -hmm. just showing her going around and seeing things or you have her in Smallville and it's like the Battle of Smallville, but you don't have Clark there, but she sees Zod do terrible things to that community. Um, and then that's what's the catalyst for her to come in on, on side and stuff like that. I, I do think she needed like a couple more minutes to kind yeah. of marinate and whatnot. But um, it, you know what? Like my kid just was like head over heels in love with her. Now and, I'm worried for her to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Supergirl was pretty badass in the movie too. So mm-hmm. like, they, they, the stuff that they did with her, I agree. was like cool, but like, I, I almost was like in my, my mind as like we do, we discuss these things. It's like, why not the fixed thing? Why the, the fixed point be the death of his mother or something like that. And he's going back and trying to stop the killer. Like he's, you know, he realizes that like his mom always dies and he's trying to go back and fix it or fix. And like, you do have to mess around with things in the past, but like, I just felt I wanted something a bit more emotionally connected to, to Barry's story. Yeah, in me that. Too. like it's it's just like it was just disconnected it was like okay we met this flat uh, the super girl you know she's cool she does a few things but like for barry number two for that to be his that that thing that he's gonna spend eternity trying to figure out like i, I it, to me it should have been connected to his mother in some fashion like how you do that how you write that i'm not a professional i don't know no. but like i feel like that like shifting the fixed point over to barry's story might have served the emotional arc a bit better um and th- that's just kind of because this felt like it was like dis- dislocated a bit and the purpose like i totally agree with you and i totally understand like the purpose of, of zod and the purpose of supergirl and all that and it was like all the stuff they did was really cool at the end there like it was a badass sequence but like i i felt like we took a break from the flash story for a little bit yeah and like the emotional core of the flash story to have this like cool set piece like and then you have to like reconfigure keaton and all this because how he factors into things like it 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 does make the movie quite different if you start to remove those pieces Mm -hmm. from that universe but like i said it's i think a little disservice to the barry allen story at the end of the day 
Yeah, game. like I guess Barry One was kind of like kicking himself because he thought that he had cost mm-hmm. metahumans existing by yeah. traveling back. But but um, I think that was that should have been the. I, I do agree. Like I do think that there should be more focus on that. I mean, I like. I think that was a really good idea in the movie where like Barry is actually the villain in the movie. Like he's mm-hmm. the main villain, and I think that's why I don't have an issue with how Zod was used, utilized because I think he was actually he wasn't. They brought him in as not as a big villain. You know, he was just the catalyst for them trying to save this world. Um, and it gave gave both of them, you know, some reason to to try and change the, the past and try and fix things. Um, with, Sa- with Sasha, like, I, I, again, like, I agree. I, I agree that she was, she was pretty cool. I do think that, like, watching the film, I do feel that her scenes were probably the ones that were cut the most. Like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there were more of her scenes because there were parts where, like, it felt very yeah. kind of disjointed. And, you know, just that there were some conversations where it just didn't seem to to kind of match. And it felt like there was a whole missing piece of dialogue that should have that that should have been in between. And then that yeah. scene, you, as you said, like the, the scene that kind of, you know, she's not going to help humans. And she's been tortured for all this time. And she flies off and she sees Zod. And he's not really doing much. He just blows up these these tanks. And she comes back and she's like, I'll help you. But it could have been something very simple. Like, this is a this doesn't have to be such a hopeful Supergirl. You know, this could have been... She could have gone to Zod and found out that he killed Kalal. And that could have been the reason why she helps the Flash. And it would be a very different motivation. It's not her fighting for humanity like we do see with Superman. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to bring out this... They're doing that woman of tomorrow and woman of tomorrow. Supergirl is, you know, she's quite vengeful and she's violent and she's, she gets angry and she's not really fighting for certain people. She does to a degree, you know, look after the innocent people and she does help people, but it's kind of like, you know, if someone gets on her wrong side, she'll kill them. Like, and I think that's, they could have really played with that, like a different version of, a Superman way we've got this, you know, meta human who's it's not all about hope because she's never experienced it. You know, she's actually mm-hmm. angry because someone has killed her family member and she's been tortured all of her life. And they could have that could have been a very easy plot point that they could have thrown in and it gave her a little bit more purpose. It makes her actions a little bit more meaningful. And then her death at the same time wouldn't be so heartbreaking in the way that like she you know she was this angry version and people wouldn't feel so bad that she was trying to help people. Well, and that would What's also it? fix the thing that I thought was weird when they're like, when Zod's like, ah, oh, it's actually you who were looking for to harvest. I was like, what? Why? Like, that makes <laughs> <Yeah. no> sense. <laughs> but yeah, if okay. they had done it the how way you ha- said. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, it solves everything, right? Because it's just like, oh, no, I'm Zod. I accomplished my thing. I still need to terraform this planet, but I have the, like, the DNA from Kal-El to, um, you know, complete those embryos that I have, and but she'll be pissed about that, and that's why she'd join the uh, join Team Berries. Yeah, like as you guys say that, maybe that's the reason I I didn't love this piece of it because it it maybe it's not complete. Yeah, yeah, I think, missing, I think missing I think little sec- pieces. The last, of it. the last third of it is probably for me the weaker part, and I I think I just because I was really getting invested in the Barry story, you know, mm. and and the thing is like you know he'd gone back and his mother's alive. And he sees her in the kitchen and, you know, he's, it's a really emotional scene. Like he's with his mother and he hasn't, of course, he hasn't seen her for so long. And, you know, in this universe, she's alive. 
but then he never gets to spend any time with her again throughout the movie and you know i don't know if they i think they had to throw in this massive action sequence like they do in most superhero movies for certain audiences maybe for a general audience but i do think if they just spent a lot more time with barry's struggle and Barry trying to fix things, but also Barry having to deal with that issue of letting his mother go again, you know, not breaking away from that so much because I think that did take away from it. And then returning to it, the end, it wasn't as as impactful in my opinion. Well, and it, like it comes down to like almost the economy of the story, right? Like, you know, we were praising it earlier on about like how economic it was with Barry's story at the start, but there's a lot of things that you could probably cut in here to give more time in the earth 89 if you want to call it that mm -hmm. to where you can establish a bit more of the supergirl stuff and the zod stuff and how it, it, it kind of it maybe tied in a bit tighter to to the flash story like because there's a lot like when he's with like it's stoner berries or berry number two's buddies and all that and they're talking about back to the future like for like four minutes in this movie and like like and I, I can understand it's a piece that's used to kind of bridge this idea that barry's not in the same universe and all this and that things are different and it, it is i guess through dialogue teaching you about the multiverse and all that but like i feel like there's stuff that could have been compressed to give you more time because like the supergirl stuff happens very quick yeah like it, it's it's like way at the end of the movie and you know if we had gotten to it a little sooner or spent a little bit more intimate time with her i think that we maybe that piece would have felt a bit more cohesive to the the whole story um as opposed to like kind of how i'm looking at it being like yeah it's really cool and i like where they're going here and i like even changing it up from from kal-el to her and and all these but it just felt rushed to me at the end it'd be very hard for them to now continue as well without with sasha kal-el because uh, like she's you know she died in these these multiverses but like, even if they had one where she survives, but I I think it would they, be yeah, I don't... completely different, right? It's just the same yeah, actress, just another no connection. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, That'd I think like if they were to continue with any of these characters, it's a different version of the character. Like it's not that version that we just experienced. But yeah, yeah, I, do. I mean, like that's just going to be again to a general audience. That's going to be quite hard to explain. Yeah, you know, you're going to be... spend part of a movie explaining it. You know, we're going to use this actress this actor in this movie but like she's not actually the real she's not the one that you all know of you know, it'd be weird to just have a like a henry cavill superman movie and say actually this isn't actually part of the snyderverse you you kind of i don't know if that would hurt the movie or not i don't know yeah i i don't know like i think with what they have on deck for their first set of projects by the time supergirl rolls around the other stuff will be pretty far in the rear view mm -hmm. mirror, That's right? True. And um, and realistically, like if you don't have if your big three have all changed over, I think the audience will clue in that it's all new and all different type of thing. So, yeah, agreed. It, it's just really what you do with that end credit scene. Was that like with the actual one with Aquaman? Like, because he's basically Barry says, and I don't know if this was added after or when this was shot like during the filming of Aquaman or if this was shot later, because essentially he's saying like, I heard he was, stuff... he was filmed during the filming of uh, Peacemaker. Is it Peacemaker? Is it the end? So oh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, uh, they were on set, yeah. Well, because like he says, like sometimes things are wildly different, like Batman, but it appears that things like Aquaman, you're all the same. Mm -hmm. Like, so he's saying like some things are the same and some things are different. Like, is that like 
a cheeky nod to the DCU that we're going to pull over some people and not everyone. And Aquaman's going to be in the DCU. He's just the same guy. I guess it doesn't matter. Like in every multiverse, like he doesn't look any different. He doesn't act any different. Like, was that what that was saying? That's how I interpreted it. So it's just, it basically builds in their back door, right? To take what they want and do away with the other pieces. And like, to be honest with you, if they went scorched earth with all the Justice League characters, I I honestly don't care. Um, Like, honestly, the best performance that we had out of any of them was Ezra and you know at this point in time like real world circumstances have precluded Ezra from continuing in the role mm-hmm. and then yeah like the the rest of them it's like yeah Gal is wonderful but she's just too tied to the yeah. Snyder era stuff Cavill's game over and Affleck's game over so yeah I, I don't know like the Suicide Squad characters are the only ones that I'm like <laughs> well then they'll, they'll definitely go over and I think that like you can realistically kind of separate some of that stuff out. And like, to be honest with you, Ezra and, and Jason Moore are the only ones that showed their faces in that peacemaker uh, cameo too. Right. Everyone else's was obscured by, by darkness. So it's funny that those two, honestly, like putting aside Ezra Miller's issues and, and all that kind of stuff. Those two would be the two that I would think that gun would pull over. Oh yeah. if he had the opportunity. Well, even them talking about, like, a, you ha- we've had, like, quite a lot of actors um, and people talking about Ezra and just, like, behind the scenes and just how, mm-hmm. like, a lot of people say, like, how nice of a guy he is and how much they like him. It seems like they are trying to push that a little bit, like, you know, he's not as, as bad as you all think he is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, to me, for me, like, I'm just, I, I, I've, I, before all of those issues or anything, like, I don't really care about those, but I was never a big Ezra guy for Flash anyway. Like, I'm, I liked him in all of it, to be honest with you. Really? Like every, like every for some stuff, like uh, there's like times <laughs> even in that movie where, like, I don't know what he is. He's the kind of guy like I, I don't want to take, I don't want to like say bad things about his personality because I don't know him, don't want to always like, but like I don't know, man. He's just I don't find him likable. That's my problem. Like I want my superheroes to be very likable, and the rest of them all feel likable to me. Like I, I want to see them, but like something with Ezra, like I don't know. Like in that scene where like they they put all the cushions over his head and he laughs, he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is that laugh, man? Like, <laughs> I just want to punch this guy. Like, who laughs like that? <laughs> so Stoner, like... <laughs> Stoner, Stoner Barry, Stoner Barry. It's like, oh man, you know what, guys? Like, look, we're we're gonna this is a, the a longer one um, than than we've recorded in a long time. So it, there's there's a lot there, a lot to digest and. You know, the point of this podcast was to have a discussion. This isn't particularly a review. It's it's more of like, let's let's talk about these points, these things that when you're walking out of the theater, you are thinking about. And we want the listeners here to kind of have and go along that journey with us. You know, this isn't about breaking down kind of the like the, the nuances of some things. It's about talking about those things that we're questioning coming out of the movie theater. And so I hope that you guys are able to kind of go on this ride with us. You know, we're going to touch, I think, next week on the fallout of The Flash and what it means for the grander industry with regards to comic book movies. There's a lot of hot takes out there, but guys, remember, there's seven blockbusters out right now with Indy on the way. There's a lot of there's a lot of movies out there, so let's uh, let's 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 let this thing simmer for a little bit and see what next week looks like, and we'll talk about the fallout of the Flash here. But guys, it has been an absolute pleasure talking about this. And Carlos, having you back here on the pod is. Uh, it's just been great. Fantastic. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for stopping by the Nerd Room, man. 
Oh, my pleasure, man. My sincere pleasure. Yes. Well, I guess we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to wrap it up here, guys, and we will we'll be back at the mics next week talking a little bit more of this. We also got a Craven the Hunter trailer dropped today, guys. We'll be talking about that next week as well and kind of fit into this whole bigger story of, of comic book movies. And, you know, maybe we'll touch on the F word when it comes to comic book movies. Who knows where we'll be at next week. But, guys, with all of that being said, I want to thank both Ian and and Carlos here for coming and discussing The Flash with me, trying to explain a few things to me, trying to light me a little bit here, and try to bridge some of those gaps. So with all of that being said, for The Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Ian. And I'm Batman. Oh, how sweet <laughs> it is! All right, guys, thank you so much for entering The Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Carlos, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out thenerdroom.net and The Nerd Room YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room. All right, so yeah, I'll do the intro myself, Ian, and then I'll introduce you, Carlos. Um, back to the pod. All right, coming at me. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it might be just like <laughs> Michael Keaton's Batman. Lots of grand plans, yeah. and then gets fucked. Yeah, this big thing. And then, and then he dies twice, and then. Sanjay walks in at the end as they've reshot <laughs> as they've reshot the ending that used to be Carlos. <laughs> yeah. It's true, man. Well, yeah, we can talk about that too. <laughs>